Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Kings chapter 5? Elisha's 10th miracle. The, remember that the history of the northern kingdom with regard to the delivery of the word of God, the ministry of the man of God, the reception of the relationship to God on behalf of a lot of the people in the northern kingdom. All these things are revealed and the power of the ministry of the word of God through Elijah, who's now been taken up into heaven, but now through Elisha, the old time way of looking at the ministries of Elijah and Elisha was that typologically, typically the uh, ministry of Elijah was like the law because Elijah was uh, the prophet of judgment. And Elisha, it was always said, it was the represented grace because he was the prophet of grace. And obviously he, God extends grace through his ministry to so many people. And I've, I've told you before when we started this particular section that uh, this portion of the, of the northern kingdom of Israel is revealed through 17 miracles that are performed through the hand and ministry of Elisha, the power of Yahweh coming through him to the people. We need to be mindful again of how wicked, generally speaking, the northern kingdom is. The vast population immersed in idolatry, um, led into false religious practices by the kings. The worst of them all was Ahab and then his wife Jezebel. Ahab is dead now, his son Joram or Jehoram. Uh, he's called Joram in some places and Jehoram in the other. Uh, his son is, hasn't given up any of the wickedness. And so the, the, the vast network of people, the, the, the greater population of the people still are uh, defiling themselves with uh, Baal worship and all of the sensual things that go with it. But there's this story here, and we continue that story now, of Elisha, who has taken up the mantle. And you remember, he said, give me a double portion as Elijah was leaving. So Elisha is having a, a mighty ministry, but he, he ministers in a very gracious way um, to the people of God. But it goes beyond that. And tonight, we're going to have an example of it. We'll see an example of how powerful the outreach of Yahweh through his prophet is. So it's not to say when we think of the northern kingdom and then their final demise and collapse into captivity to the Assyrians, it isn't to think that they were without, they were without uh, ministry, they were without the word of God or a man of God. They were not. Toward the end of it, it was Hosea and Amos. But here, it's Elisha and then those prophets 
that he taught and the disciples of the prophets. So there, there are quite a few uh, men involved in uh, the ministry of Yahweh uh, to the people. But of course, the great powerful prophet is Elisha. And the story of Elisha and the power of his ministry and how effective it is in an otherwise very dark age of the northern kingdom uh, is it continues to be revealed here in 2 Kings 5. It is the 10th miracle. Now, I'm in the leper. We all probably remember from Sunday school uh, this great story. But let's extract some, uh, some tremendous truths as we reflect upon uh, God's ministry and God's establishing his relationship. God always has a people. Of course, God is never defeated. And at the end of it all, in the final day, whenever that may be, uh, there will be a tremendous uh, ascription of glory to God on behalf of his elect, both angels and saints, as, as we lift up uh, the tremendous uh, doxology and praise of his power that has extended in all of time and space from the beginning all the way to the consummation and then into the new heaven and new earth. Here is just a part of that glory along the way. Let's look at it. Now, Naaman, and he's described here uh, with four particular characteristics. Number one, he's general of the king of Aram. Now, Jehoram is the king of Israel. Ben-Hadad is the king of Aram or Syria. Maybe your Bible says Syria. Ben-Hadad is a very powerful king. At this moment in time, the Arameans are more powerful than the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, generally speaking, is subject to the Arameans because they lost a battle to them. They lost a war to them. Right now, there's a fragile peace that exists but there's still an understanding that uh, the king of Ben-Hadad gets his way if he makes a request. So here is his number one guy of his military, Naaman, general of the king of Aram, a prominent man before his Adon, before his lord, which would be the king. Then number three, he's respected. He's a respected man for through him had Yahweh given victory to Aram. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, you will recall when Ahab was killed in battle against the Arameans. That's when they defeated them in that war. And Ahab had the word from the Lord that he wasn't going to live through that battle. And he took all of his king's clothes off, put them on somebody else. You remember? Uh, what a guy. And uh, he wanted to dress up like a regular soldier. So he got out there with the regular soldiers. He thought that he was bigger and better and smarter than God. Of course, that's never true. And if you remember the account, an archer just happened to draw back his arrow, one of the Aramean archers, and he just let fly a chance arrow through the air. And that chance arrow, which was of course divinely and sovereignly guided, went right in between the hookings and fixings of the armor of Ahab. It killed him. Josephus says, and 
this phrase here, through him had Yahweh given victory to Aram. Josephus says, according to the annals of history and warfare and so forth, Naaman is that archer. Naaman was out there in the heat of battle and he was just firing arrows. And one of his, now I don't know how they know that with all these arrows flying, but he was accredited with shooting the arrow that killed the guy that looked like a normal soldier, regular soldier, but he happened to be Ahab, uh, the king. Uh, so that's what, that's what uh, Josephus, the historian, says. And the, the phraseology here seems to lend a little credence to that. Through him had Yahweh given victory to Aram. Naaman was a man of mighty valor. He was a mighty warrior, very courageous. But the fourth thing, he was a leper. He, nobody, as with all of his glory and all of his wealth and his high standing before the king and for the heroism and, and uh, the legend that was Naaman, for all that he was and all he had done, nobody in the world would have traded places with him because he was a leper. Now the Arameans went out in bands. Okay, so they had won the war. They are not afraid to go in and raid the, Israeli, the Israelites and steal their stuff. Let them grow their crops up until the crops are harvested and go and steal their heart. Israelites not going to think about it. They, they didn't have an army that could stand against the Aramaeans. So the Aramaeans go and raid their caravans, raid their, their uh, barns of the farms and so forth. And they went out on a fairly regular basis in small groups to do that. And so on a particular raid, they captured from the land of Israel a young girl. And they brought her and she became the slave girl of Naaman's wife. Sovereignty of God. Naaman just second to the king in Aram. Now they worshiped, of course, they're, they're among the worshipers of false gods. But this young girl captured, happened to make her way into the household of Naaman. And she became a, a servant of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, the supplications for my master... Naaman, the master of the house, should be that he go before the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, zara'ath, that's a general term that means any kind of, any kind of skin disease. Mazara more specifically speaks of leprosy, so the understanding is that he's a leper. Sweet little girl, Give us a testimony. There's a prophet of God in Samaria. If you just call on him, he'll help him. Instead of appealing to false gods and instead of bringing in doctors that can't do anything for him, you should appeal to the prophet who is in Samaria. Let him go before the prophet in Samaria and the prophet would cure him. So you see, the power of Yahweh working through Elisha at this point, the ministry of Elisha and the word of God through his teaching the disciples of the prophets and the prophets as well. All of this is, is of course, strengthening the case of the truth 
that there was a significant remnant of faithful people who were not afraid to speak of, of, uh, of Yahweh and what, how he could help people, a relationship with Yahweh. In this case, this little girl uh, gives her testimony with regard to how Yahweh works through the prophet. He doesn't have to walk around the rest of his life as a leper and watch his fingers fall off and his nose fall off and his ears and all the stuff that happened. Just, he can go before the prophet in Samaria. That's who you need to make your supplications to. So God is at work now. And this guy, okay, he's not an Israelite. He's, he's, he's not of Israel. He's, he's not one of no, he's not one of the elect of Israel, as you would think in the 12th tribe. This is, a, this is an old nasty Gentile. But worse than that, he has leprosy, which is the awfulest disease of the day. And in the New Testament is, is identified with sin. It symbolizes sin. So uh, here's a guy that otherwise would be an outcast among the Israelites. But this little girl has faith in Yahweh and knows how Yahweh has worked through Elisha. And so in her little heart, she says, you know, there, it doesn't matter what's wrong with him. The prophet can cure him of his leprosy. And he came and told his master saying in the following manner, has the girl from the land of Israel spoken? So he, he goes and tells the king, the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad, said, come, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel, Jehoram, son of Ahab. Ahab was defeated, remember, by the forces of Ben-Hadad. He went and took in his possession 10 talents of silver, 6,000 gold pieces, and 10 suits of clothes. I broke this down into ounces. Now, I don't know about the clothes, but I'm talking about the gold and the silver. And given the present day price per ounce of silver and then of gold, this was more than $5 million. So this guy has, plus this costly these costly suits of clothing. She has more than $5 million to take. King, here, take this. I'll send a letter. Get some money. Take it with you. Oh, about five or six million. <laughs> take it with you. And uh, I'll let you go to this prophet. Well, that's how much Ben-Hadad thought of Naaman. The letter came to the king of Israel, Jehoram, saying, now when this letter comes to you, now be advised, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, and you shall cure him of his leprosy. Well, that's pretty bossy. Ben-Hadad knows that he's the boss of Jehoram. And he thinks in his mind, if this little girl knows about the prophet in Samaria, well, then the king would know, and I'm going to do the protocol thing and I'm going to tell the king what I expect and I'm sure that the king knows what I'm talking about. Well, this is, an old, this is an old unsaved king and he thinks of himself instead of the prophet. Here's what he says when he, when he reads the letter. 
The king of Israel read the letter and he tore his clothes in half. He rent his garments. He got all panicky and upset and angry and, and, and depressed and all. Do I have power from Elohim to put to death and to bring to life that this one sends to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just know now and see that he is looking for a pretext against me. He's looking to bring some kind of charge against me. He's wanting to say that I'm rebelling against him in some way. And then he's going to come and take whatever we have. That's what his thoughts are. This king. Well, it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his garments that he sent to the king saying, why have you rent your garments? Let this guy come to me and let him come now and let him know that there is a prophet in Israel. It's a great opportunity to inform the Arameans and to reveal to them the power of the God of Israel. And that he extend, you know, as I've said many times in this, in these Old Testament studies, other nations, Gentile nations thought of their gods as local or national gods. They didn't really consider how their God would have any power anywhere else. It was just that he took care of them and he would strengthen them and so forth, but not that their God could ever be extended beyond their, their boundaries or borders as a, as a nation. However, Israel knew better. Israel knew, knows, knew that Yahweh is the God of gods. He is God. There is no other God but Yahweh. So all confused and, and, and wrapped up in himself and thinking that he's about to get a whipping from Ben-Hadad, he gets, he gets all beside himself and panicky. Somehow the, king of, somehow the prophet of Israel, of Samaria, finds out, Elisha. Somebody probably carries him the news. And he says, hey, king, <laughs> I'm still here, you know. I'm, I'm over here in Samaria, uh, not far from where you are. Let him let this guy come to me. We'll let him know that there's a prophet in Israel. Naaman came with his horses, with his chariots, and he stood at the doorway of Elisha's house. Greatest man in the military, second only to the king, a tremendous entourage attends to him and travels with him. Very impressive. And with all of his armor and everything, he would look real good until he took his mask off. Until he took his sleeves off, he wouldn't look so good then. So he comes to impress the people in Israel, but specifically uh, the prophet of God. So he comes, he stands at the doorway. This was, a, this was really... Uh, this was really an act for, it, it was like patronizing to him. It was like he was beneath himself to do this much. This was a defeated foe. These were despised people. And he was having to go into their land, into their, right to the outskirts of their capital city, and present himself to a prophet who is a prophet to a God that they don't honor and they don't recognize. So it was a pretty big step for him to do this. He stood at the doorway of Elisha's house. So he gets off, he goes up and makes his way all the way that far. Elisha didn't even go out to meet him personally. I like this guy. Elisha sent his messenger saying, 
I mean, he, he wouldn't even go to him personally. Elisha says, go and immerse yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored to you and you'll become clean. The Jordan River, Israel's river. In the land of Israel, where God's people live. Where Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of all gods, attends sovereignly to all the affairs of man generally and specifically, of course, to the people of, of Israel. He didn't even go out to, he's, you know, maybe he's in there eating a sandwich or filing his nails. Who knows? Very nonchalant about the whole thing. Uh, go tell him to go immerse himself seven times in Jordan. He'll be okay. It's, it's, you know, it's almost like, okay, here's what you do. And this, you know, this is the power of God. We have something wrong. It isn't our power that's going to fix it. It's the power of God. We go in faith to God. We come as a lost person to God. It's not anything within us that's going to save us. It's all the power of God. And it seems so simple. That's why so many people are just, it's a stumbling block. It was a stumbling block to the Jews in the New Testament. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a stumbling block to think, you mean I just have to go and believe in this guy and what he says he is, who he says he is, what he says he's going to do, what he's done and all he does? Yeah. And then see what happens. You just, you just be obedient to it and see what, just see what happens. Well, this is the, here's what he says. It's a simple thing. Seven times in the Jordan, dip yourself, immerse yourself. And after that seventh time, You'll have skin like a baby. Now, Naaman became incensed. He gets angry. He went away. He said, this guy wouldn't even come out to me personally. Here I thought he would come out to see me and he'd stand and call in the name of Yahweh, his God. And he would raise his hand toward the spot and cure the, the I thought he was going to do something dramatic. You ever seen people in, you ever seen, I don't know how far I should go with this. People get real dramatic. How they're going to claim to do things to people in the name of God and, and make a big deal out of it and draw attention to the whole thing. It, it's not, it doesn't work. All of the glory goes to God. Well, this guy thought there had to be something dramatic. Surely he will pay attention to the fact that I'm the second greatest guy in Aram. Surely he'll recognize me in all of my warrior splendor on the finest horse of the whole bunch. And with, with great pomp and circumstance, I dismount and walk like a soldier uh, right up to his doorstep. But he didn't. He wouldn't even come out. Well, Naaman turns him down. I ain't going to do this. This is silly. He gets back on his horse and starts going away. No, I'm not going to do this. He wouldn't even come out and talk to me. He wouldn't even let me see who he is. He didn't pay special attention to me. That wasn't really true. Are not Amana and Parapar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters in Israel? Will I not immerse myself in them and become clean? He turned and went away in anger. He thought he had figured out a way. If it involved that, he would, he would add his own part to the gospel. And he, in doing his part, that's what would finish the deal. That's what he's saying. He's filled with pride. He is the center of his universe. This is the way people are. People are come to s submit themselves to Jesus Christ. 
who paid the price. It's such a simple and easy thing. Come to Christ in faith. Deny yourself. Lay aside your pride. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Come to Christ, the only one who can save you. Humble yourself before him. Submit yourself in faith. True, honest, complete, unadulterated faith. And with the understanding that there is no good thing in you and there's nothing in you that can save you. It is all of God and none of you. Just come simply, humbly, and faithfully to Christ. This is the call he makes to Naaman. All you have to do is assemble. You wouldn't even come out and say, hey, this is so easy. Sure. You've come this far. All you got to do is go dip seven times. I'm not going to do that. If I can't do this in the Syrian waters, in the Aramean waters, in the waters of Damascus, if I can't do it there, I'm not going to do it anywhere. Well, you know, he went away. It says he, he turned and went away in anger. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride, self-centeredness. Even the least speck of pride can bring you down. All about me. It's all about what I can do. So he's in that same boat. This guy, you know, Yahweh didn't have to do anything. This guy, Yahweh has no covenant with this guy. He's outside the covenant. But he comes by the testimony of this little girl. So he has all these people who, you know, they had to make camp and come this distance and they've been right with him. And some of them just came up to him. Some of his servants approached him and said, Master, if the prophet spoke to you to do a difficult thing, would you not do it? And surely since he said to you, immerse yourself and become clean. Now that's, that's wise. That's pretty good. You know, here's these guys. Look, ain't nobody here but us. If he had told you to do backflips off the steps of his front porch and then do the splits and take out your sword and cut off the heads of camels and donkeys and show what a great man you were and bring that blood and squeeze that blood off the blade onto his. If he'd have told you to do something really hard, you'd have done it. This is easy. This is really nothing. Nobody's going to think less of you. We're on the way home. Let's just go by the, let's just go by the Jordan River. This is an easy thing. You would have done the difficult thing. Just go immerse yourself. Become clean. He went down and immersed himself in the Jordan seven times according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young lad, a child. And he became clean. You know, thank God. We're going to see. I, I, I'm convinced Naaman is in heaven. I, I just, I'll tell you, I'll show you why in a minute. And part of his thanksgiving through the ages would be that Yahweh, in his sovereign purpose, happened to number these servants among those who went with him. Most of the other guys, afraid of the commanding general, would have agreed, with, yeah, we're not going to go to the, we're going to go back home. What does he mean? No, not these guys. It's like those four who, who, who lowered the lame guy through the roof down to Jesus. 
These guys came and shored up the testimony. Look at this. Their hearts, somebody spoke to their hearts, right? Immerse yourself and become clean. He went down and immersed himself seven times, just like the man of God said. After the seventh time, he had skin like a child. And he became clean. That was so simple and so easy. Here's, here's the beauty of salvation. In that day of the gathering of God's people before him, we will only be able to stand there and praise him for his might and his power to save. There's nothing within us that can move him to save us. He does it graciously from within himself according to his own will and purpose. And that we are drawn to Christ is proof of his presence within our heart. The natural man is not drawn to Christ. That we are drawn to Christ proves that we are in Christ and moves us to a, not just a lifetime of worship and praise and humility before the Lord, but to an eternity of worship and praise. Naaman is greatly moved. Naaman is broken by what just happened to him. He returned to the man of God. He and his entire camp. He came and stood before him and he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now I accept a gift from your servant. He's got nearly $6 million worth of stuff. Most of it's silver and gold. Part of the entourage was to protect all that money. And these poor old donkeys, are, they're loaded down with this stuff. And all these clothing, you know, I can just see it. These guys were there ready to fit him and do their sewing and do, I, could, yeah, I, I used to be in the clothing business. Finest material known to man to make this guy his 10 suits. Now, he won't accept, look at this. Six million, nearly $6 million. Please accept a gift from your servant, Nauman. You have brought me to the reality of the true and living God. I'm a man who has defended Ben-Hadad in all of his way and his religious worship and the people, my people, among whom I've grown and grown up and have defended and fought wars for. And there's no telling how many times I've worshiped the wrong God. There is no other God but Israel's God. Elisha said, as Yahweh before whom I have stood lives, I can't accept your gift. Wow. That speaks even more to the heart of Naaman. Now the king had sent Naaman with this money. What's the king going to say if somebody has refused his gift? 
urged him to accept. No, I cannot. You see, the man of God says, this is not me. It's not, this is you, you, Yahweh. You want to do something good, you just keep your mind on Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You worship him and give glory to him, not to me. You've come to the prophet of Yahweh. And you've come face to face with the God of Israel, the God of all gods. That's not for sale. You don't give that to me. And Naaman said, Now if only your servant be given a load of earth as carried by a team of mules for your servant will no longer offer up a burnt offering or a sacrifice to other deities. From now on, my, all my worship goes to Yahweh. Every burnt offering. Now, a sacrifice, when I put something in my place for my uncleanness, it is a sacrifice to Yahweh. When I offer a burnt offering, an offering of my life's commitment to Yahweh, it will be to Yahweh. Now, you see, in, in Naaman's mind, this is pretty good, really. In Naaman's mind, the earth of Aram, where a false deity had been worshipped, was unworthy for him to place an offering to Yahweh upon. Therefore, he wanted to take a big bunch of dirt from Israel. I'm going to pile up a big place and I'm going to build an altar on the earth of Israel. And there's going to be my altar of, of sacrifice. The land from whence I've come, the dirt therein, it's not worthy for me to put the altar up. I'm going to take. So he, he carries back a bunch of dirt. Makes a place of Israelite dirt. Builds an altar there. From now on, I'll never worship any other deity but Yahweh, the God of Israel. But he does say this. He still is a man of honor with regard from whence he came. He still has a duty. He's duty bound in some way. So he says, this one thing may Yahweh forgive your servant. When my master, the king, Ben-Hadad, comes to beth Ramon to prostrate, uh, I'm going to say that right. He's not going to prostrate himself there. He's going to prostrate himself there. Uh, and he leans on my hand. I will prostrate myself in beth Ramon. But when I bow in obedience, to, in service to my king, May Yahweh forgive your servant for this thing because my heart's not in it. See, he didn't even have to say that. But he's all sold out to Yahweh. And he says, I want to cover all the bases here. I wouldn't have come here in the first place had not my king granted me leave. And I'm a dutiful servant as a warrior, as a soldier. There's one thing that I've got to do because of the king. But understand this, my heart's not in it. My service, my sacrifices, 
for the rest of my life. Go to Yahweh. He said to him, that's okay. Go in peace. The prophet said, okay, no worries. No worries. Go in peace. And so he went away some distance, this big entourage of people in the Ammon. So they've, they've gone quite a few miles away, right? Okay. Gehazi, remember that guy? He's not good. He's a bad man. The servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, why did he turn down all that money? That's what he's thinking. Here my master has stopped the Ammon, the Aramean, from giving him all this money and stuff. By not taking from his hand what he brought. He brought it for him. Nobody's going to know any difference if he goes back without it. As Yahweh lives, I will run after him and get something. Get some of this stuff. So Gehazi chased after Naaman. Naaman saw him running after him and he leaned over the chariot, uh, off the chariot toward him. Is all well? Something happened? Do I need to go back? And he said, oh, no, all is well. My master's had second thoughts on this stuff. My master sent me saying, here just now two youths have come to me from Mount Ephraim of the disciples of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two suits of clothing. That's all a lie. That's fraud. And the almond said, oh, no, I won't give you one. I'll give you two. Please take two talents. He urged him. He tied two talents of silver in two pockets, two suits of clothing, and he gave his two servants and they carried them before him. He came to a secret place and he took them from their hands and he deposited them in the house. He dismissed the men and they went away. He came and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where you been? Gehazi? Huh, nowhere. I just messing around. Your servant gone neither here nor there, just messing around. And he said to him, did my heart not go when a man turned around off his chariot toward you? I'm the prophet of God. My heart did not go after Naaman for any of his money but my heart knows what you did is it time to take the silver and to buy clothing and olive trees and vineyards and sheep and cattle and slaves and maid servants you see the divine discernment that's giving, given to Naaman reveals the heart of his evil servant Gehazi. he says I know what you're doing you're going to go out and you're going to buy land and and you're going to make yourself wealthy. You're going to invest in something and continue to build your wealth with all this stuff. But he said, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, Naaman's leprosy shall cling to you and to your children forever. And he went away from before him, stricken with leprosy, white as snow. If you want his money, you have to have his leprosy as well. Take the money. Nothing there says that Naaman told him to go and give it back. Keep it. Oh, by the way, his leprosy is now your leprosy. 
and all of your household, all your children from now on. Probably didn't go past one other generation, his children, because leprosy will kill you. Slowly die over a period of time. The 10th miracle. That's a great story. The, the, the wonderful part about Naaman committing himself completely to the Lord for the rest of his life. Where I make my bed, the soil there is not worthy for me to worship Yahweh upon. I must carry a whole big load of dirt from Israel so that upon that worthy soil I may place an altar and for the rest of my life worship the only true and living God and none other but him. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll have a deacon prayer time.